Hello, welcome to the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and in this series we'll be talking with world leaders in agility to help understand how we can make continuous improvement a part of your company's DNA. In this episode, I speak with Jutta Eckstein and John Buck about the Bossanova framework. This integrated approach combines beyond budgeting, open space, sociocracy, and agile to improve company-wide agility. And here we are uh, to another episode of Comparative Agility. Today, we're looking at the Bossanova framework, and joining me right now, we have John Buck and Jutta Eckstein. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitations. That's thank you. Cool. Yes, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a great to see you here. Um, we we've spoken previously, but I think it's really really diff- um, interesting to see uh, the the Bossanova framework as as you know as as I've understood it because I think I've come to understand it more as we've moved through this. But um, it's uh, can you give me your actual story of you know where where how how did it come to be? And how did you meet actually to, to, to form this? You, you can tell it if you want. You to... <laughs> okay, so give it, give <laughs> well, it you, a start. You'll get her side of the conversation um, then, John. Let's make sure it's the right one. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the things was that uh, we saw with the clients that very often when they are successful with Agile, one of two things are happening. So one thing that's happening is that they are successful so that the remainder of the company says, oh, what are you actually doing there? Can we also benefit from that? Can you show us? And um, so which meant kind of, well, I don't like that term. I just want to say like scaling up actual to the rest of the company, but it's mm-hmm. actually more expanding out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that, that we also saw that, well, at first, those teams are successful, but then they, they cannot really benefit from it because the rest of the company didn't live up to those values. And so mm-hmm. we felt the need, something to be changed and to be offered. And so we looked around, um, what is there? Because reinventing the wheel is most often taking too long. And then you have to also provide a lot of evidence that it's working or not and without having the evidence yet. So we just look what's out there and what is working. And um, this is then kind of how these elements were coming together. Um, and, and maybe I, yeah, John can then also focus a bit more of that perhaps, but we were looking at what are the different streams that are looking at an organization from a different perspective. So each one from a different perspective on an organization, but still focusing on the same values. Mm. So the values remain the same, no matter if we, from Bossa Nova perspective, now look at the B, the beyond budgeting, the OS, which is the open space, the S, sociocracy, which is actually John's uh, real expertise here, and then the A for Agile. But yeah, so... So, 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 so what I'm hearing there is agile is not, it's not all about agile. There's actually plenty of other things going on in that environment, which, uh, which one needs to pay attention to. So, yes. over to you, John. So, um, Yuta had been hanging out with my friends in Holland, uh, because she was curious about sociocracy and 
one of them was supposed to go over with her to an agile conference in Orlando. And um, uh, he just backed out and, and said, John, why don't you go there? You're already in the US. So Yuta uh, and I met there and we gave our speech about sociocracy and agile. And afterwards we were having coffee and we said, you know, that was nice, but there's more to it. And, and let's write a book. So we did. And uh, it, it, writing the book uh, at a distance was really a neat experience. We ran into four or five, like totally blank walls. What do we say now? And then we would, it would as we worked, it would, it would crumble away. And what we really discovered was that the value of these different frameworks, the Bossa Nova, the open space and so on, uh, is that it gives you a way of thinking about what's happening so that you can probe your situation and develop your own, you know, roll your own at that point. But it always helps to have a theoretical framework to make your hypotheses against. And we found that surprisingly that you would think people would know how to probe, how to come up with a hypothesis and an experiment and mm. all that and how to publish it. But a lot of people just, you know, that is not, something that they do they forgot their eighth grade science and uh, so we've we've been focusing our training more recently on how do you probe um and um that that that's more the essence of what we're doing than than the actual uh frameworks one one interesting thing though on the frameworks i found was that i remember when we made a table you know with uh, down one column was agile and bossa nova and, and open space and then across the top was um the manifesto values, the agile manifesto values. And we found that we could say the manifesto values with each one of those modes, like beyond mm -hmm. budgeting, you can say all those. And, and so we said, okay, we'll, we'll just stick with the, the agile manifesto values, but we have to translate it in terms that it can be used for any work situation, not just developing software. And uh, so that's kind of the core of what we came up with is really describing each of the agile values in, in uh, uh, these generalized terms so that they could, so that you could have company-wide agility, but have the essence of it as opposed to, okay, you, you know, what is it? Uh, 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 software, uh, uh, customer, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. The <laughs> customer yeah. documentation over, um, uh, not over, uh, well, working software over over documentation. Comprehensive so, documentation, yeah. Right, and and so uh, if you're going into seeing a chef in a restaurant, you don't say you need to have working software rather than documentation. That doesn't apply to the you know somebody making food. Yep. Yep. But if you generalize it, then you can then you can um, say much more what how that applies to the, the chef's situation. Yeah, I really identify what you're saying there about the ability to probe and really understand um, your situation. I think one of the biggest questions I ever, the answer that I, I always, a lot of that I gave as an agile coach was it depends. Like, so, and, and when you do actually work in some organizations where they're being um, given agile by a large consultancy or something like that, it's just a kind of, okay, well, I'll take two of those, please. Um, which is just, you know, it's this packaged, nice uh, agile transformation in a bow. But the truth is, it's not like that. It is a very, it's, it's a self-discovery uh, journey for the people and, and the organization involved. So that ability to probe, sense and respond is, is, is crucial to being able to uh, face up to the truth of where you are, benchmark, benchline yourself, and then create 
improvement from there. Right. So the, the thing is still having something that's guiding you, which mm -hmm. is for us the values. And mm -hmm. to make it maybe a bit more concrete, but what Sean was uh, already talking about, so we translated those values that are known in the actual field from the manifesto to those four, which are transparency, self-organization, constant customer focus, and continuous mm -hmm. learning. So those four values are more or less guiding or are the Southern Cross or the North Star, wherever you are, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, can, can be a guidance for you. So this is the one thing. Then the other thing is with the four different streams of, of Bossa Nova, um, it invites you to look at an organization from very different angles. So yeah. like, how do we spend money? How does this support us in the thing we are doing or how does it hinder us? Or how is the power structured? Is it centralized, decentralized? And, and all of, so this is kind of what the, the four different streams are offering things like that. And, and so look at, at your organization from those different angles by being guided through the values. And then we are coming still to the, it depends as you so rightly say, yeah. which is then the probing, which means, well, what you need to do is reflect on the situation you are in because that's the context for the it depends. That's mm -hmm. what I would yes. think almost yes. everything will depend upon the context yep. you're in. So reflect mm -hmm. on your situation and then come up with, with what we call a probe, which is a hypothesis. So what we think would help us in that specific context, then coming up with an experiment that speaks to that hypothesis. So can approve it or invalidate the hypothesis and some measurements, how to ensure that, well, you know what your first situation was and how does it compare after the experiment? And this is the probing. And then maybe the most important thing that I skipped for now was when you do that, what you really need to do is, let's take it just in a, in a um, yeah, easy way, talk about it. Because yeah. other, one, other people wanna learn from you and if you found out in your context, when we did this experiment that helped us this way or didn't help us this way, this is just so supportive for other companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I do think, yeah, I mean, every, everything you said there makes sense to me. Um, I think it's, it, but it does require a lot of courage to do make that probe, see the truth and, and have, the, have the courage for change. Um, how, how have you seen that play out in, in a lot of the companies that you've, um, that you've worked with? So, um, so I, I just read quickly and then over to John. So the most important thing is for a probe and the experiment you come up with, it's better to make a small one. Yeah. And very mm -hmm. often when you talk about probes and experiment, people think of something really big, but mm. On the one hand, a, a big change doesn't ne necessarily 
lead to a big impact. So there's no direct relation. So you can also start with something small and maybe it has a huge impact. Yep. Yet in general, it gets started with this process of probing. Sorry, yeah. and John, over to you, son. <laughs> right. Before we go to examples, I want to say one more thing about the reflecting on your situation. Um, this is all uh, tied up in complexity theory. So uh, if you look at the Snowden and, and Kinefin and all that, mm. uh, he'll talk about, oh, if you have a complex situation, you have to probe uh, as opposed to uh, doing an engineering analysis. If it's, if it's like, you know, a complicated yep. air, if it's complex, yep. you have to probe because you can't cause and effect are not uh, dem demonstrable. Um, the, there also is another complexity theorist called Stacy, Ralph Stacy, who I think in some ways is more profound than Snowden. And he says that when you're dealing with complexity, you have to think about how you're thinking. It's, he calls it reflexive inquiry. And so it's not just thinking about your situation but thinking about how are we thinking about the situation? What's our framework? Mm. What are we saying? You know, the, and have we gone into this with this preset idea? Mm. And actually, we could take a different idea. There's also a, a discipline, an academic discipline called transformative learning, that gets you to, you know, through, go through the steps of what do you have to do to change a mental framework. And so, reflecting on your situation is not just sitting there going, mm, but really trying to, to think about how you're thinking about the situation and see what comes out of that. Well, um, go ahead, Gita. Well, if now that you kind of, yeah, um, presented the, these uh, parts of complexity thinking, there was a, another one which guided what, what we were discovering, which is human systems dynamics, HSD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there, the, the way you look at complexity is always looking at what kind of container are you looking at? So, for example, now we are here, the three of us, and the container is more or less defined by the podcast we are doing. And how is that container differentiating us from a different one? Maybe we are a member with, or maybe not. So, like with a client I'm having a different container and mm -hmm. then so the containers kind of the people we are interacting with the the humans is like one one thing one element the other element is the exchanges that are happening within the container but also to the outside world and the third thing are and I started talking about that already kind of the differences both inside the container and that container with other containers. And if you look at this, the well, complexity in this way, you can always start, for example, shrinking the container. Maybe this reduces the complexity already or mm -hmm. change the way we have the exchanges or bringing in more or less differences which also has an effect on how complex the situation is. So it's actually these three, maybe three and a half thinking models that also had a big impact on, on the whole Bossa Nova. So the Kinefin, then Stacy's work, then HSD and the half, because it's not per se in complexity is transformative learning. Mm 
Yeah. So I, I, you I love the idea. Go ahead. I was going to say, you to now with that background, tell the story about the, the company that changed its travel policies you know, for people on the trains. Ah, yeah, yeah. One of our favorite stories, <laughs> which is um, a German software company. Mm -hmm. And well, they have already Agile in their name, so they're called IT Agile. And mm -hmm. um, they had just set up uh, stuff a lot, kind of like other companies do. And then the, the employee said, well, but this, how we are dealing with travel expenses, is not really very Agile. So it is, we have to follow those principles and rules and guidelines and have to fill in the reports and get approval and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, and isn't there a better way how to we deal with that? And say so they then also came up with a probe and what they did was they tried um, three principles only for everything around travel expenses. And the, the first principle, so for, and it sounds so weird to talk about travel expenses nowadays, by the way, <laughs> saying that. <laughs> we would be all be happy to fill in these reports right now, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah, so the first principle is that it has to be legal, how we spend the money and what we are booking and, and so on. The second is we have to deal with the money in a sensitive way, and it hasn't been defined what it means. And mm -hmm. the third one is when we travel, we have to have or should take care of ourselves. And also this mm -hmm. has not been defined what it meant. The interesting mm -hmm. thing was when I talked like half a year after they started doing this this way with the CEO, um, he said that what, what they found was that about a third of the people are always traveling first class. So this is mainly trains because it's in Germany, yeah. small yeah. and so on. And the other two third is traveling second class. We are not having third and fourth. So we have those two classes on the train. And then right away he said, well, and don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like top management, like me, the CEO traveling first class. It's what they found was that actually more or less that the consultants are the one traveling first class. Mm -hmm. And everyone is fine with that because they're on the road the most. And so what it also told them that if you use like those principles and guidelines for, for everyone, it means you treat everyone the same, but treating everyone the same doesn't mean treating people equal, mm -hmm. right? And so what they also found out by doing it this way, and they still, to my knowledge, are doing it this way, is that in the end, it's trusting the employees is, is actually cheaper than controlling all the time mm -hmm. because you have to set up that controlling structure and people are frustrated and demotivated because they feel they are not trusted and so on. And so the, yeah, trust is actually most of the time, maybe all the time, I don't know, cheaper. Which is yeah, that's, I, I, and that comes back to the whole idea of you know that the idea of self-organizing teams and empowerment because it it, it it costs a lot to employ a lot of middle management really I mean mm -hmm. to have people who are there just to watch and control and to and to all those kinds of things so it kind of makes a lot of sense to me especially also in a new knowledge worker economy where 
Um, I think you know people talk about uh, autonomy, power, and sorry, autonomy, purpose, and um, uh, mastery, and things like that. Like mm-hmm. the autonomy part really shines through that. Um, it's actually you'll get more motivated and more productive workers who have more control over their um, their, their work and, and how they work, and which is that, that's actually a really important theme of the last year. I think is that there was this large maybe myth from and I've been in the situations when I'm coaching organizations where they were saying we just don't trust our people to work from home we don't think they'll they will actually produce things and if anything that myth has been completely crushed uh in the last year so what else are you are you thinking about your organizations and teams which you are missing out on that empowerment and that overall cheaper more productive more creative workforce absolutely so in, in that story, you can see <clears throat> that the reflection let them see that they had a framework, which is that we need to mm. control our employees to control expenses. Yes. And so then they shifted to try out, well, what if we trust? So that, that, that's the fundamental kind of thing you need to be doing when you're reflecting on your situation. And I love that. I don't think that's, I don't think, while, while that sounds simple, I don't think it's very easy to just nope. <laughs> change one's mind about, okay, how am I thinking about how I'm thinking is, is somewhat yeah. another level down uh, or, or up or whatever, however you want to put it, but it's not mm. a default position we go into problem solving with. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, and especially uh, in a time of change, it's something that one, one needs to constantly be almost checking that, those old assumptions of the way I solved the problem yesterday may not be the way we need to solve a problem today or tomorrow. Right. Very true. And what's working for you might not work for me. So that's true. So we are back with the it depends thing. This is still <laughs> true. That's why reflection is so important. But the the uh, it depends is the classic consulting answer. Um, but. <laughs> I was a consultant at the time as well, so I agree. (laughs) Right, it's the classic thing. Oh, it depends. But the the message that the consultant needs to deliver under that is not just it depends, but how are you thinking about it? Let's explore that so that that you now have some new things to try out because you've thought about it in a new way. Absolutely. Okay, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of move on to kind of the the I mean Bossanova is not just a cool name; it is actually a kind of acronym of all of the the areas you feel are really important to this uh, to this framework. So if you don't mind, we just like to walk the, the the viewers through each one of those areas so they can get an understanding of how they all fit together. And the B in Bossanova refers to beyond budgeting. Now we have had an episode before with our beyond budgeting. Um, but do you just want to give us a quick in, uh, introduction to to how that works in in your in your framework? Go ahead, Yuda. Okay. So um, the main thing of beyond budgeting, as people might have heard in the other podcast already, is that it's really more a management model that's more empowered and adaptive. So it sounds a lot like it's about budgeting only. Yet it's more to that. It's really about leadership and management. And I I would still argue, although some people are not happy with that, that the term is correct. So beyond budgeting, I know some people in beyond budgeting say, well, we should have chosen a different term because it's not budgets only. Yet 
On the other hand, I think, well, we often say that money rules the world and it also rules how things are happening in a company. So the way the, a company deals with the budget actually shows also how it's managing things, how things are led and all of that. And so if, if we just do that in a traditional way, meaning we fix the budget one year in advance, it's kind of natural that we cannot really be agile in that sense because yep. stuff is already fixed in those different buckets. And if we find out that, well, actually we really should work on that product because the market has shifted, um, then this is often not possible anymore. And also kind of the other way around and, and well, being a consultant myself, um, I often benefit from that as well, that towards the end of the year, all of a sudden companies need to spend their money because mm. there is still something left in the buckets. And so they hire consultants, trainers, whatever, um, which is, again, maybe good, good for people like me, but it's not really good for the organization if the money isn't spent in a way that's really helpful for them. So yeah. budget-wise, you also have to have a way more flexible thinking and being more adaptive and well the the example that we had before with the travel expenses that's very much based in uh beyond budgeting thinking yeah. that trust is really more important here than control maybe yeah. maybe one last thing here one yeah. minor yeah. last thing i think from my perspective for for a different way of budgeting the most important thing is actually what we have been talking about right now which is it depends so much on context so it's not dealing with everything that needs money in the same way and therefore fixing that budget a year in advance but for some things you can say you go for unit cost targets which say okay you can spend more if you produce more for other things like the travel expenses we said already, well, maybe it's on trust completely. Maybe you have a, a kind of a, a target and say, well, as long as you're below that amount of money, it's all fine. And perhaps a completely different extreme, if, um, if we are more in research, then you have to think of it more as venture capital way of dealing with the budget so it really depends so much on what do you work on right now and then define the budget in a more agile flexible adaptive way for exactly that thing and it might be different than what's needed for a different team for a different kind of work i think it's actually a really really good point because i've run into this myself where um, you might think that budgeting is just kind of an afterthought or something we don't need to worry about, but um, the way those budgets are defined really has limiting effects on, uh, for example, hey, we've just discovered through our continuous uh, learning uh, mindset that this is really, really important to the customers and it's, it's really important for us to, uh, to move there quickly. If you can't do that because you can't put the right people in there, you can't hire the right people that has a real effect on your organization and being able to seize opportunities as they come about. Um, so I, th I think you actually make a really, really good point. But I, I also take the point that it's not just about the money. It's about how we 
as an organization sees those opportunities in, in every sort of way um, that's available. And, and that comes from being empowering, empowered and adaptive management as, as you're talking about. Mm. Um, it's actually, it's, 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 it reminds me of so many other things. Like I remember seeing a great a quote the other day that organization design is product design. And it's really interesting how these things which maybe we don't think matter have these second order effects of, of uh, really influencing outcomes more than we, we really think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the second uh, part of is the O, the open space. Uh, no, it's the OS. Sorry. OS, sorry. OS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we had to kind of fudge it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So, so open space. So tell us more about that. There's, there's a couple of different kinds of applications of open space technology. Uh, the one most people are familiar with is in uh, conference open space where you get a bunch mm. of people together and you have um, you know five rules like uh, you know uh, if you uh, want to go somewhere else the the, the, the two feet rule uh, if, if where you are is not meeting your needs or you're not learning something then use your two feet to go somewhere else um, even if it's to sit out in the lobby and, and look at the sparrows in the in the grass mm. um, the uh, um, that's everybody's familiar with that. It's a great container for uh, e things to emerge. Uh, you try to um, uh, set it so that people can move between uh, breakout rooms or conversations and come back together and talk in the lobby and so forth. It came out of the observation that uh, that what the uh, Harrison Owen made that the part of conferences he enjoyed the most was the standing around in the in the hallways, not in the conference area itself. So he mm -hmm. tried to create a situation where it was all lobby and no presentation. Uh, that, that idea that you should follow your passion then was converted to organizational open space where <clears throat> rather than just having it be a special conference event every day, you can come in and follow your passion to do something. And generally the rule is like uh, if, you can find somebody else to like your project and you, you get to do it. You don't have to yeah. follow some exact process. And there are some successful companies that <clears throat> use this method more or less. Um, uh, for instance, Spotify is the famous one, although they say, don't try to copy what we're doing because we change it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and they're the ones who came up with the term tribes and all that sort of thing. So, um, it's a, an approach to handling complexity. It, mm -hmm. it lets uh, uh, solutions emerge. Uh, I've had wonderful success consulting myself, you know, people reorganizing offices and you know, uh, changing their regional st structure and all that kind of thing done very quickly by people just using their bodies to, uh, you know, to, to say what they want to do. Um, and uh, you two, you probably have some, some much better. Yeah, so um, I would think one of the example a lot of um, people might be familiar with already is self-selecting teams, which sits in the principles of open space. So where we say, okay, this is the work that needs to be done. Who wants to work on what and with whom? And just let people find out where they want to go and with whom they want to work at. And um, this can be also done to 
Well, maybe even more to the principles of open space by saying, okay, and what do you think we really should work on? So it's not only saying this is work that needs to get done, but also saying, well, we rely on your innovative potential and want to use that. And if you tell us what are products we should start working on or what kinds of features in a given product we should implement, make real. And you find enough people who also think that way, who are also passionate about that, just go ahead and do it. And that's actually how WL Gore is, is creating products for many years now. It's kind of this open invitation as we know it from open space as a facilitation technique where people suggest the topics they want to discuss and talk about and here people suggest the products they want to work on or the features mm. in products they want to work on. And, and from my perspective, I, I always regard this, the, the key of it, having this open invitation being kind of spoken out all the time and not only limiting it to an open space event, but it's kind of a strategy of a company really. And maybe one, one little other thing, which, which I think often brings it more across, we so, so often come up with a job description and then we look for people who fit that job description. And the picture I have in my mind is always, we, the job description is like a box and then we put the people in those boxes and we ask them to, to operate according to the box. Instead, what we should do is really looking for the, the innovative power of every individual because that, this way we can get so many more benefits to the organization. So if we can use that potential and again, by having this outspoken invitation. Yeah, and it, it is an interesting concept because it is something that I think is being demanded more within the world is that, as I talked about, that autonomy, that, that open ability to contribute, and that's happening not only from a generational point of view, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on how open space applies to remote work and, and, and the new place we find ourselves in from, a, uh, from the last year. Well, I think one of the things you said already about the generations, I think this is a really big thing. And it has also to do with now remote work because now even people who are old, older, maybe like mm -hmm. me also, um, that, that we discover it's so much easier to pick and choose based that it's now a remote work that we choose where we want to work. We follow our passion. Yep. And from a company point of view, it is, well, how do we find the talent we need and how can we make use of all the talent that's out there? Well, maybe by being more welcoming, by having this open invitation that we are mm. using as our strategy. So I, I think it, it probably will leverage that, yeah, open space as a strategy way more. The, I completely agree with you. I actually have had said this to, a, to many people that following on from my earlier comments around um, 
the, the myth being shattered, I actually don't think any companies will have the best access to the best talent without embracing these these things like open space and, and remote work, et cetera, because the myth has been shattered and people say, I, I don't need to be in an office mm-hmm. five days a week being told what to do. Then the company next door will offer me something different. They'll offer me something exactly. where I'm more autonomous, more free, more understanding my mastery and my purpose of what I'm c- contributing. Right. Um, so I do think there's actually, well, personally, I think that, that, that if that shift, ha- shift has not happened, it's going to happen because it's, it's, a, it's a modern reality now that this is, all this stuff is true and it works. Yeah, it has accelerated through the ben- pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John. I, I don't think I can add to that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Have you ever been to, have you been going to many virtual conferences since the pandemic, May? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how do you, how do you find the open space there? Is it, is it, is it, does it exist? So what I find really interesting, just in, in general, so normally, well, I, I'm going to a lot of conferences, no matter if it's remote mm-hmm. or not. However, normally I go to the conferences because I'm, I'm a speaker then and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, maybe I'm also part of the organizers or whatever, but mainly because I'm speaking there or, yeah. And which means also that these are the conferences I often attend most and like what the participants of the conferences Harrison Owen has organized, I like the breaks the most. And so I mm-hmm. keep networking in the hallways and all of that. But now that the conferences are remote, I see myself way more consciously attending open space conferences. Mm-hmm. And for the conferences I'm speaking at, I actually go there only as a speaker. And, and so I deliver my thing and then very often I'm gone it's just like this one hour block in my calendar and this is it Mm. because yeah because I'm not traveling there therefore I'm not exposed to it anyway and so the the time I really spend in a conference right now in during the pandemic is really more for the open space conferences and so um I, I guess John also can can um talk to some examples but I I really think there are meanwhile quite good tools and support structures that make open space work remotely and yeah John I I know you you know we we have limited experience now with some software like uh, Kiko chat and and spatial uh, chat uh, where like I I particularly like the, the little bit I've dealt with on spatial chat where you maybe are in a simulated lobby or a a hallway and uh, you are represented by like a little round circle Mm -hmm. and you you can move that circle. And if you move it near other people's circles and suddenly you can hear them and you can talk with them. And if you go away from them, then you don't hear them anymore, but you go toward that person, you say hi and they say hi. And so it simulates just hanging out with people. I, I have limited experience with that, but I would like to try it more. Um, and then the things like the Kiko chat software, um, and in fact, you two will be leading something today, uh, allow you to do what you do in, in, uh, org- in uh, uh, conference open space, which is to you know, start together, talk about your ideas, go out to rooms, move between the rooms. Yeah. 
chat and so forth. So um, perhaps that can serve in the future as, as a, a remote open space sort of a thing, but I sure miss being there live. Understood. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, the softwares, wherever they are, have, have um, those breakout rooms and all those kinds of things have become a really important feature for a lot of them. But I think there's a long way to go, as you're pointing out, to um, to that that serendipity of, of what comes up, you know, in, in the hallway. So understood. Um, so another the the next S is sociocracy. Um, uh, tell us more about that. It's, it's a, a name that I wish we had a different name for, but it's very accurate. It, it sort of means rule by friends, the, the socios, as opposed to rule by an auto, which is autocracy, or rule by the demos, which is Greek for a general mass of people. And um, it was developed in Holland as a way of guaranteeing that there's a feedback loop in an organization. You, if, you're, if you're steering, you don't want to shut your eyes but management can literally do that in a typical top-down structure. So um, it brings in a number of different concepts, like when you're making a decision, do you do majority vote? Do you use the boss make the final decision that's called um, participative management? Give me your ideas and then I'll make the decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this says, no, everybody needs to be, everybody's voice needs to be honored. Let's make it by consent. And that's not consensus. This consensus just focuses on agreement, but it's more like bring your whole self in. If you have a funny feeling about something, then we want to hear about it and welcome subjections. Um, so there's the consent decision making, there's the double linking where uh, policy is made in kind of a reflective circle uh, as opposed to you know the boss makes it. And uh, the people from the lower levels of the organization elect by consent representatives to sit with the, the managers and make policy decisions, you know, how we're, how we're operating together. Um, the, and the election, yeah, the, the, those are the two main things. The fact that you do the, that there's four principles, the circles, the consent, the double linking, and then the fourth one is that you elect people for roles by uh, consent. And um, it has the effect of, um, uh, engaging everybody and of um, uh, creating a, an egalitarian atmosphere. It lets you both be hierarchical when you need to, but then completely flat when you need to. And uh, it, if you carry it all the way, you end up changing the bylaws or the constitution of your organization because uh, most companies are uh, ruled by the golden rule, which is he who has the gold makes the rules. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You have to be able to have the, the, the gold holders and the people who are doing the working be able to be on an equivalent basis with each other. So you may end up changing the whole bylaws of your company if you institute it fully. Um, and so that goes along, as you can see, you know, it's like, okay, we're trusting people. We're you know, giving people the, um, the voice, not just top management. Um, and so it's a it's a different way of proceeding and, and can be um, used with children, if nothing else, very effectively. There's some really interesting uses of it in schools. Um, and so that's, that's sociocracy in a, in a nutshell. And there's, there's, am I right in thinking that there's grades of this? Like there's, there's a, a very traditional classical power structure, almost like an army where it's just, you know, 
I give you orders and, and that's it. But there's different ways that you can uh, layer this into your organization of empowering uh, and pushing decision making down the organization all the way through to a fully decentralized structure. It, it's, it's up to the people involved how you want to organize. It may be that, a, mm -hmm. that operating day to day in a traditional hierarchy is just what you need. It yep. may be that you want to be doing self-organizing teams. Okay, then let's consent to that. The consent is always always done in a probe form. Let's try that out for a period of time. Yep. Is it good enough for now? Safe enough to try? Let's see if it works. So there's no have to do it around it other than you have to give everybody their voice. And you have to know when you do that, that when you hear objections, you don't go, you go, oh no, we'll never agree on this, but, but rather, oh, there's another view or framework that we have to integrate with our framework and it leads you to the kind of reflective practice that we were talking about earlier. So um, it, it depends. <laughs> um, I, and I really like how you've, I, something that I've really, that's really shone through a lot is that scientific approach to not only software, but to management and to all those things where it's like, well, why don't you just try it out? Like just set, set a boundary, set some guardrails, make a change, measure, respond and, 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 and see if it, see if it works. And I think that incremental shift is because that's why I was asking about the, the change little by little, the incremental shifts one can make within your organization and within even your uh, assumptions and how you move away from them. Um, which make this such a practical way of doing things. Right, and share your learnings. Yes. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to, to share, like if, if it's only the example from ITH or how they dealt, dealt with the travel expenses. And, and so we really need to hear way more stories what organizations are really trying to do so we, we have quite some stories on what teams are doing, but not so much on the organizational design level or area. I can immediately see this becoming, uh, in my mind, I'm just kind of visualizing situations where it's like the company decides where the Christmas party is. The company decides, um, you know, uh, what time work starts those kinds of things. And what's the, what's the risk associated with, what if we just let people decide that for themselves? What's the downside and what's the upside? And I think you can cap that downside very easily, but the upside is tremendous. Absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, okay. if, you think of the, if you think of, again, looking back at COVID, the number of organizations where, oh, we're going to let people work half a day from home and we'll see mm. how that goes. <laughs> COVID comes along, it's like, <laughs> totally changed. So why, how can we operate to be that flexible? Not just well, the, do, no, go ahead. No, the funny thing I find about that is that the technology has been around for decades. So we've had G Suite, we've had Microsoft Office 365, or whatever we've had, we've had video conferencing for so long, but it took, as you're pointing out, the mindset shift or the, the organizational shift to make it a reality, not the, not the technology to make it happen. And I find that really fascinating because do you find that the ability of what we can do versus the ability of someone to experiment and try a new way of doing things is, do you find that's a, that's a harder thing, a slower thing for an organization to, to, um, to 
tryout. It, as I said earlier, the, the idea that I can experiment with things that go outside my comfortable way of doing things mm. seems to be very um, challenging to get people to try out. Mm. Uh, it's not easy. It seems like it would be easy. And in, in fact, we literally, when we've been teaching it, have been using a video out of an eighth grade science curriculum to tell people what this is about. And then we get them and say, now you, what is your hypothesis? Well, I want to do such and such better, but what is it you're trying to prove? Yeah. How are you measuring it? Do you have a before and after measure? Do you have a control group? All that kind of stuff. Um, they, it's like, oh, you do that. And, and so it's, it's, that's even more basic a skill that people need than, okay, let's try out beyond budgeting stuff. Mm, that makes sense that, to me. That way of thinking. Yeah. Which is if actually still... also the reason why we gave, why, why we settled down on that term approach. Well, on the one yeah. hand, also because Kenefin is using it, but it feels that in our world, very often when people hear experiment, it's more a trial and error thing. And it's yeah. not uh, reflecting first, coming up with a hypothesis, measuring, and all of that. That part often isn't isn't thought through when people think of experiment, although scientifically it is all in an experiment. Yet we felt like we need a different term. So it becomes more clear that, well, there's really more to it than just jumping and trying. The mm. a, a, an example, going back to the sociocracy is uh, uh, Gerard Endenberg's family had a engineering business that they had also said to themselves, this is a laboratory for new management ideas. Mm. And when the, the parents retired, they brought their son in, who is an electronics engineer. And he said he remembers very clearly looking at the organization chart of the company and saying to himself, as an electronics engineer, I would never design a power structure that way because it has no feedback loop that you can't ignore. And yep. he said, what happens if we build in that feedback loop? And he it was a couple of years later that um, he saw, he, he got his first results. And that was the company had a crisis because some of their customers went out of business and they were ready to do a layoff until somebody who is a machinist, uh, you know, at the floor of the company came up with the idea, let's take the people that were laying off, retrain them, making them into marketers and see if they bring in some business. And he was elected two or three levels up in the company and sat on the board of directors when they were making this decision, which is the double linking. And they did it and the company was much stronger because they did that and they didn't have to do a layoff. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of bold thinking that can come if you're just willing to say, well, what if, what if we do this? Here's this idea, let's, let's really probe after it. And, and so it doesn't have to be slow. It's like you have to have the courage to say, I've got this new insight. How do we do it in a way that's, that's safe enough to try, but let's do it now and see what comes out of it. And yeah, that, that word courage really, really shows up a lot because I can understand a situation where when you've had a lifetime of not being given that opportunity, someone suddenly saying, hey, now go out there and try things. You might have some people going, well, are you sure? Am I really allowed to do this? Um, <laughs> but I guess that's where a management... Uh, or, or a leadership component comes into it and saying, no, just try something, anything, and, right. and, and starting that flywheel. 
and document it and tell everybody about it. That's the key thing. It's like publishing <laughs> exactly. <the> results. <laughs> Sharing back. I love it. Don't just Excellent. try, but you got to tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the final part of the Boston Order is the A, Agile. I don't think we need to go too deeply into that. Um, it's the focus of many books, podcasts, et cetera. But um, what would you like to say, uh, uh, Yuta? Well, also relating it back to the probes, um, mm -hmm. Agile is a lot about inspect and adapt. And mm -hmm. Well, he, here we are again. So it's kind of the core of Agile, at least from one perspective, so that you keep learning by inspecting and adapting. And then if you bring the probing in where you think of a hypothesis, so you know what you want to inspect later on, then um, it, it all comes together. Yeah. It is, it is about continuous learning, inspecting and adapting. So after everything we've talked about, it kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, well, that's it. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I've learned a lot and I think I'm, I'm excited about the way that you've uh, almost approached Agile in many different ways at different levels of the organization, but also that really open uh, participative way that we really need, that Agile really thrives within an organization. Um, if you want to know more about Bossanova, you can go to, I believe it's agilebossanova.com um, or you can go to comparativeagility.com where we have the Bossanova capability and sign up for a free account and, and, and benchmark yourself on how you sit against the, these, these values and uh, these, uh, these frameworks. I've had yeah, a fantastic you ask, time. Yeah, you can ask go yourself ahead. the question, how agile are we as a company? <laughs> That's always a good one. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time I uh, really appreciate it John and Yuta and have a great day thank you thank you <laughs>